Today's scripture reading comes from Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands, we have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, ancestors, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far in all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty they have shown toward you. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, and our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He has carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done, but we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is this day, we have sinned, we have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for because of our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Liz, for reading that passage of Scripture. And a special thank you to Evan Lockett, Valerie Brown, for those incredible songs leading us in worship, continuing to serve us in that way. And to Reverend Dicho, uh, thank you for also uh, leading us in that liturgy. We've been studying the book of Daniel throughout the fall. The series title has been Faithful 
in exile. To understand the book of Daniel, we need to understand something of the exile that he lived through. Now, if you were to chart out the history of Israel in the Old Testament, and the, the high times being the peaks and the low times being the valleys, the exile would be the lowest of lowest valleys in the story and the experience of the Old Testament people of God. The empire of Babylon had conquered them, taken them away from their homes. Life as normal was gone. Babylon had destroyed the temple. Everything about their lives and their faith was challenged to the utmost, which is, and I've experienced this in a powerful way, and I hope you have too, which is why the, the book is such a powerful fit for our lives and all that we are experiencing. As we have gone through a kind of exile, being separated from life as normal, worship as normal, this book speaks powerfully to us. Now, the first half of Daniel that we've covered, we're now in the second half. The first half, we found stories about how to remain faithful in the fire, in the testing, in the suffering, in the temptations of exile, learning that this is what faithfulness looks like, and this is how God is faithful to us, even in exile, remembering that he is in control, even when it doesn't seem like it. Now, the second half of the book that we're in right now is, is different than the first half. First half was stories. The second half is visions, visions of the future, these strange, symbolic, apocalyptic visions that are meant to give hope for the future for people living in the midst of dark and difficult times. And they teach us that God holds the future. Now, here in the middle of all these visions is the passage we just heard read. As Daniel is receiving these visions about the future, looking to the future, he prays this honest, heartfelt prayer of confession. And some scholars even look at this and say, this is a little bit out of place in the midst of all these visions. Why is it here? Well, I hope to explain uh, why I believe that this passage is here in the middle of these visions. But first, let me just share this by way of illustration. On um, Tuesday of this week, our presbytery, uh, which is our regional group of churches and pastors, had an outdoor meeting down in San Diego. And on the way down, driving down to San Diego as it was getting darker, getting closer to the coast, as I was driving, um, this dark fog was out in front of me. It kind of looks like the, the fog there in our graphic. If you see that fog, that's how it looked like. It was dark, um, this marine layer that had descended. And I thought as I was driving down, I said, this is like the perfect picture for life these days. Now, Monday, Orange County entered into the dreaded purple tier. COVID has been resurging all around us. And now we're all in the middle of difficult decisions regarding the holidays. Who can we gather with? How can we gather? Some of the things that we will miss out on this holiday season. It's just hard as we look out into a foggy future. It's all like a thick fog. Now, our passage, the one we just heard read, shows us something that God calls us to do while in the fog. In fact, it shows us one of the gifts God wants to give us in the fog. One of the gifts God wants to give his people in exile. One of the lessons they were to learn while in exile, and that is the gift of true confession of repentance. If you know the story of Israel, 
This was something they had not learned while life was good and comfortable and predictable. And if you were like me and your story is like my story, and I know many of your stories, this is true. In the seasons of exiles, when we learn and receive the gift of repentance and true confession. So putting this up on the slide, this is what we're going to talk about this morning. Daniel's confession shows us something that God calls us to do while in the fog. What can we do when the future is uncertain? Well, maybe an unexpected message, an unexpected gift is that confession. That's an important part of how God prepares us for the future he has for us, even when it's uncertain to us. We need to know something about the context to understand this. Um, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, what we just read. I want to read those again. There it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord, to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petition. So what's going on there? Daniel is here in a major transition of empires. He's living through it. Darius is the same king we read about in Daniel chapter 5. He, he loved Daniel, but he ended up getting tricked to throw him into the lion's den to uphold the law. That was that story. Same king. There was a massive change. The end of the Babylonian empire and kingdom and the ushering in of a new kingdom, the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. And Daniel was right in the middle of it, first year, wondering what does this mean for him? What does this mean for Israel and for the people of God? And so he looked to scripture and he found this in the prophet Jeremiah. Some of you know one of these verses in this chapter very, very well, I would guess. I want to read from Jeremiah 29. This is probably what Daniel was reading. It says, This is what the Lord God says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. Here's the familiar part. Declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So there it is at about 70 years. I think that number is probably not a literal number, but a symbolic number signifying uh, the a season of completion, a lifetime, a generation. But it was about at that period of about 70 years. And here, Daniel's reading from the prophet Jeremiah, it says, exile's not the end. There's hope. There is a future. In the exile, you will finally learn to seek me and find me, and I will carry you home is what God said through the prophet. So after this long, long time, a whole lifetime in exile, Daniel is about 80 years old at this point. He's wondering, <laughs> is this the time where we find God again? How do we look for and prepare for the future God has for us? What did Daniel do to prepare? It says in 9.4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. So in this message, as we look at this, I hope to make a case for confession 
for us, for you, for now in this season, that now is a time for us all to learn and receive this gift from God. Daniel's prayer here, it clears up some common misconceptions that we have about confession. And I think it'll help us. It'll help show us the reasons why maybe we confess so little, maybe we confess so shallowly. Reasons why we experience so little power in our prayers of confession. Daniel, if we learn these lessons, in Daniel chapter 9 we see how God prepares us for the future He has for us, even when it's uncertain, through confession. So let's look at this together first. Why we confess. The first misconception that this prayer clears up is the answer to that question. Why do we confess? Most people think we confess our sins to avoid the consequences of our sin, right? The punishment for our sin. That's why you confess. The idea is if we don't confess our sin, God won't give us the things we want. He won't give us the life that we want. So we should confess. We should clear the air so we'll be on God's good side and we can move on with the good life, right? That is not what the Bible teaches about confessions. It's not what this prayer teaches us either. At first, though, it might seem like it. If you have it open and you're looking at it, if you listened as Liz was reading, you wonder, maybe what is this passage teaching? And it's so important that we see this. Clearly here in Daniel's prayer, there's a lot about the consequences of the sin of Israel. The disaster they're in, verse 12. The shame that they bear, verses 7 and 8. The banishment of exile, verse 7. The curse, verse 11. The anger and even the wrath of God, verse 16. Daniel says those are deserved. These are all things we have brought upon ourselves. These are consequences for turning away from God and for not listening to Him and not obeying Him. That's all clear from this prayer. But the reason for this prayer of confession is not for God to remove these consequences so they can have a better life again. Please hear this. The reason for this prayer of confession is for the people to renew and restore their relationship with God. Let's throw that up on the slide. That's a very important point. There is a big difference. One kind of confession wants to get God out of the way. Move on with life. And one kind of confession wants to get more of God in your life. Let me explain this from the text. Verse 4 is the first time in the book of Daniel that God uses, or that Daniel, rather, uses God's covenant name, his personal covenant name, LORD, in all caps. You see it there. He says, I prayed to the LORD, my covenant LORD, my God, this is the name God revealed to Moses, his most personal covenant name. In verse 4, Daniel says, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God, who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. There's so much that we could say about this. But in the Bible, God's law, God's covenant law, is an expression of his love for us. And our obedience is an expression of our love for him, that obedience law is in the context of a covenant relationship. This is why Jesus says in John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. How do we remain in the space where, God, where God's love is, where Jesus' love is? It's in the place of his commandments. 
His commands are his love. That's why, as one pastor said, to sin against the law of God is to sin against the love of God. It's all in the context of this covenant relationship of love. And Daniel's confession is all about how God has kept his covenant love, his faithfulness in the relationship, but how his people have been unfaithful in the covenant relationship. Now, when a relationship is broken, the consequences of this broken and damaged relationship are felt. We experience this all the time on a human level. There's anger and separation. There's tension. There's distance. There's a lack of blessing that the relationship should give, all because somebody has broken, somebody has disobeyed their part in the covenant relationship. Those are the consequences, but the relationship is core and prior. That's what happened here, and here's where confession comes in. A relationship that is broken or damaged or wounded cannot be healed apart from confession. And maybe one way we can illustrate this is through the covenant relationship of marriage, right? A marriage is a relationship created by a covenant promise. When you make vows, when couples make vows on their wedding day, they say these traditional vows, I will have and hold you from this day forward, right? I promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, as long as we both shall live. Now, when that covenant is broken, and it will be in any marriage relationship, you're not so loving, not so faithful to support, to care, to listen, and to serve one another. What do you do? That's where confession comes in. That's how the covenant is renewed. That's how the relationship is healed. And in fact, when that takes place, not only is the relationship restored, but it is deepened through the practice of confession, and that is why we confess. When, when somebody confesses, maybe on a human level, maybe in a relationship, uh, a marriage, whatever have you, and you confess, I'm sorry I did that. Will you please forgive me? You know, imagine this, a spouse saying, oh, are you not, okay, we good? You're not mad at me anymore after, after you confess? Okay, no, I'm not mad at you. Okay, then I can just go on and watch the football game or move on with life or something like that. Well, somebody says that, you begin to question the sincerity of the confession. You know, you wonder why a person, maybe you experience this, can confess earnestly, passionately, and yet not change, confess your sins before God and keep falling into the same thing. Maybe you've experienced that. Here's what Daniel's prayer teaches us. If what you're after is to get rid of the consequences and the guilt, are we good now? Now I can move on. I can do what I want. If that's what you're after, you'll never experience the power of confession. But if you are after God, if you are after a renewed and stronger relationship with him, confession is the way to that. And that is why we confess. Second, Daniel's prayer teaches us about what we confess. And there are some major misconceptions regarding this as well. There are two major misconceptions that Daniel's prayer helps clear up and solve for us. First, what do we confess? We confess our specific sins. Let me explain that. Now, 
No matter how much you might say, I am a sinner, I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm far from perfect, I know that I do wrong, I'm broken. All that kind of general confession can sound very humble, can sound very convincing. But if you don't get specific, there's no power in it. There's a place in the Westminster um, Confession uh, or Statement of Faith that says, we are called to confess our specific sins specifically. And I always remember that because it's very specific the way it's talking about confession. Why is that? Well, what does it mean to confess? To confess is to name and own our sin and wrongdoing before God. To confess is to face the truth about ourselves as God sees it. A few times in this passage, verse 11, verse 13, Daniel talks about how he and Israel had turned away from God. They didn't want to face themselves as God saw them. To confess is to turn back toward. Uh, literally in, in the Greek, when in the New Testament, the word confession is used, it's homologeo, which is to mean to say the same thing, literal translation. Confession is to say the same thing about our sin as God says about it. And this is hard for us. This is very hard. But one of the most obvious features of this confession, which serves as a model to us, Daniel's prayer here, was how many different synonyms Daniel uses for sin. Verse 5 and 6, he says we've sinned. Then he says we've done wrong. And then he says we've acted wickedly. We've rebelled. We've turned away. We've not listened. We've refused to obey. And it goes on throughout the prayer. And you want to say, we get the point, Daniel. <laughs> Why so many words? And what's happening here is Daniel is describing all the specific ways that they had treated God. When someone apologizes and says something like, ah, I'm sorry for the minor unintentional mistake that I made. Or maybe somebody says, I'm sorry that you feel that way. When somebody says that to you and they've wronged you, do you feel closer to them? <laughs> do you feel like the relationship has grown? No. Those are not confessions. You feel further from them. Why? Because this is not saying the same thing about the wrong that you would say, the one who has been wrong. A great confession names the wrong just like or even better than the person who has been wronged. When someone says, I can't fully imagine how you feel because of what I did. It was wrong. I was wrong. I hurt you. I'm so sorry. And I never want to do that again. When you receive a confession like that, that can draw you to the person. You can be closer than you were before. The more your confession names the hurt, the pain, the wrong of the person you have sinned against and the failure that you did, the more you name it from their perspective, the way that they would see it and feel it, the more your relationship is restored. And that's what's going on here. Daniel's prayer teaches us to name sin as God does and not to soft pedal it. There's another major misconception about confession that Daniel's prayer powerfully challenges, and that is this. And this one will be hard for us. We could spend a long time on this, but that is that we only confess our own individual sins. Our own personal sin. If I didn't do it, why would I confess it? I'm not responsible for it. That's how we think. But the truth is that has more to do with our American individualism the Western idea of, of being an individual than it does with how Scripture 
describes our corporate responsibility and connection to one another. Daniel, throughout this prayer, he prays in the first person plural. He keeps saying, we have sinned, we have rebelled, we have not obeyed. Look at verses 12 and 13. We have not sought the favor of the Lord. Now, if you've been following this series on Daniel, you might be confused because you know that Daniel is one of the most obedient, one of the most faithful, one of the most praying people in the whole Bible. For me personally, as I look at the Bible, I would say he's top three characters in terms of his faithfulness and righteousness. Joseph, Ruth, and Daniel. Those are my top three as I read the scriptures. Here he was, obedient in a pagan culture, of all places, in politics, at the highest level, faithful and obedient. And in the face of death, he remained faithful to God. Now, he was an only, only a young man when the exile started. Seventy years prior to this prayer, 70 years ago, he could have said, it's not my fault that we're here. I didn't have anything to do with it. It's all because of them. What's wrong with them? He could have pointed the finger, blamed everyone else who compromised, who wasn't praying like him, and who wasn't faithful. But he didn't. He included himself with them. This week as I was studying, I came across um, a commentary written by another pastor in our denomination. In fact, one of our leaders, Brian Chappelle, you may have uh, heard of him, Brian Chappell, rather. And Brian Chappell is now our stated clerk, who is basically the executive admin over our denomination. Um, and he's written a book on Daniel called The Gospel According to Daniel, great book. And in the section on this prayer, he tells a story about this prayer. The impact of this prayer of Daniel, how it came to mind at a crucial moment in our denomination. I want to share the story of this with you. In 2016, an effort was made as a denomination, the PCA, to corporately confess the sins of racism that are present in our churches and in the past in our churches. And I want to read to you the official call and the resolution that was passed in 2016, four years ago, this call to confession and this prayer of corporate confession made by our denomination. It goes like this, Therefore, be it resolved that the 44th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America does recognize, confess, condemn, and repent of corporate and historical sins, including those committed during the civil rights era and continuing racial sins of ourselves and our fathers, such as the segregation of worshipers by race, the exclusion of persons from church membership on the basis of race, the exclusion of churches or elders from membership in the presbyteries on the basis of race, the teaching that the Bible sanctions ra racial segregation and discourages interracial marriage, the participation in and defense of white supremacist organizations, and the failure to live out the gospel imperative that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Be it further resolved that this General Assembly does recognize, confess, and condemn and repent of past failures to love brothers and sisters from minority cultures in accordance with what the gospel requires, as well as failures to lovingly confront our brothers and sisters concerning racial sins and personal bigotry and failing to learn to do good, seek justice, and correct oppression. Isaiah 117. I debated reading that to all of you because it names the sin for what it was. It's hard, hard to read, hard to pray. 
Let me say, that's not me. I wasn't there. I didn't do it. That doesn't describe me. But that's not what Daniel did. And it opened the door to not only a renewed relationship with God, but to reconciled relationships with one another and the people of God. Confession like this, corporate confession, keeps us from separating ourselves from others, placing ourselves above others, saying that's their issue, that's their sin, that's not mine. It keeps us from ranking groups of sin and sinners. It keeps us from placing ourselves above others in less sinful categories. And it heals wounds when sins and wrongs have not been named and not been confessed. And that's what was going on in 2016 at the 44th General Assembly. And I am honored to be a part of that. And it's not done. We continue to be in that place of confession. You know, this kind of prayer is needed for our future. Living in a divided and fractured world with issues regarding racial reconciliation and many, many other issues that divide us. Corporate confession like this can bring healing. So, first, Daniel's prayer clears up misconceptions about why we confess shows us that confession of sin is a part of, and it's absolutely necessary for a healthy, close relationship with God. It's to get more of God. And what? What do we confess? We confess and name our sin. It's one of the most important practices for bringing healing and health to human relationships as well. Thirdly, how do we truly confess like this? We see why, we see what. How do we get there? Each week is a part of our worship service, and we continue that in our online worship service. We have a time where we call renewal. We confess our sins corporately together. You know, it's a strange practice. Where else does it happen? Where else do people gather in a, a space together and say, we are sinners? That doesn't happen anywhere. But we do it because of passages like this, which are a model for us, so important for us to regularly provide space for us to do that. That is essential to our service of worship together because of passages like this. But I know it can be this way for me and many of you. Sometimes we go through those weekly uh, times of confession and it doesn't strike us. It doesn't hit us. It feels rote. We don't feel it. How do we truly confess? This prayer of Daniel is actually a number of, uh, one of a number of model prayers of confession. We have Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah. Interestingly enough, all in chapter 9 of these books, they all prayed in the exile or the, the years leading out of the exile. All prayed. They all had written down prayers that were recorded for us to be prayed. But how do we not only have the words, but have the heart? How can we truly confess like this? Daniel was so passionate. If you read the end of his prayer, he says, Lord, hear. There's exclamation points. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen. Lord, act. My God, for your sake. And because of your city and your people, they bear your name. How do we get there? How does it come alive? How do we really mean it? Well, two things we see here. You won't confess if you are someone who's always downplaying your sin. You'll never really feel the need. You never really will feel that it's all that bad. You'll never feel like when you name it that it really applies to you specifically. You can't name it for what it is truly. No big deal. On the other hand, you won't 
confess if you are someone who's always overemphasizing your sin, who never feels you're forgiven or loved. You're always too sinful, always too broken because it'll just feel so terrible. Now, if you downplay your sin, you don't really know God's righteousness. But if you overemphasize your sin, you don't really know God's forgiveness and compassion. You can be hard on God's righteousness and feel like compassion is too soft. You can focus on compassion and be too soft on sin. There's tension there throughout the scriptures. God's righteousness and his forgiving, compassionate heart. How do they go together? And in the heart of this prayer, Daniel worships God for both. Verse 7, Lord, righteousness belongs to you. It belongs to you. And then in verse 9, compassion and forgiveness, he says, belong to the Lord our God. How can God not compromise his righteousness, right and wrong, his standard, and also pour out his abundant compassion? Daniel says, both belong to you, God. They are a part of you, your character. You cannot set them aside. You are righteous and you are forgiving and compassionate. It is who you are. And here is the thing. We need both. We need both to hit us with full force for us to truly confess. Now, we avoid confession like this. When we downplay sin, we don't think we need it, and we don't believe in this compassion and forgiveness. How do we get there? How do we get to a place where we can name it for what it is and then receive forgiveness that our sin doesn't crush us, leave us in guilt, but move us to the compassionate heart of God? And the answer is, we struggle to get there. We rarely get there. The people of Israel rarely got there, and so Daniel stepped in to intercede. Someone has to be willing to intercede to take us there. Daniel said, I will bear our sin before the righteousness of God so that we can all receive the forgiveness and compassion. Even though Daniel was faithful, he wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. One of the most faithful people ever, he was willing to bear the shame and the sin and take it on himself, even in his body in verses 3 and 4. He says, I was fasting. I was sitting in ashes and sackcloth. I came out of my comfort, the royal comfort that I enjoyed, and I sat in sackcloth and ashes to suffer and to confess and to intercede for the people, to bear the weight of the sin, to bear it before God, even though he didn't have to do any of it at 80 years old. He could have said, forget them, and enjoy his position, his power, and his comfort. He chose to intercede and lead the people to experience the power of confession. Here is how Daniel points us beyond to a greater Daniel, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did not stay in his position of glory, who did not stay far from us, but chose to enter in to our sin, to intercede for us. In Jesus, we see how it is that God can fully uphold his righteousness as Jesus bears the full weight of our sin, our shame, and the curse, and our exile on the cross. And we see how he can fully unleash the forgiveness and the compassion of God on all who confess. 
because with our sin out of the way, there is forgiveness. It belongs to the Lord to be abundant in his forgiving heart towards us. So believing the gospel, we don't downplay sin. We name it for what it is. We say the same thing about it as God says. But we don't overemphasize our sin either. Knowing God's abundant compassion, we can be free, reconciled to him. And out of that heart, we are transformed. We are chained. We want to do the will, the law of our loving Father. As we say many times, and it's been coined by Pastor Jack Miller, it's another way of saying, I am more sinful than I ever imagined. I have more to confess than I ever thought I had. And yet I am more loved, more forgiven, receiving more compassion than I ever dared dream because of Jesus. That's the heart that is set free by compassion. As we close, I just want to make this, this connection that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. This is not just a, a passage on confession, like a psalm of confession. This is a passage about how confession prepares us for an uncertain future. How? A future where we don't know what's happening, where everything seems foggy. This prayer teaches us that confession is something we can receive from God as a gift. Because even though we don't know what will happen, confession can lead us to a future where these things are true. We can be closer to God and His love. We can be closer and reconciled to other people. And thirdly, we can be more free from and less motivated by guilt and shame to be free to do what God calls us and has made us to do, whatever the future holds. Our future is uncertain, but we can be certain these are the things God does through confession. Let's pray this final prayer together. I'm going to put it up on the screen. It so captures the heart of this passage. Let's pray that this would be our heart. We would truly confess in these words, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.